my understanding uh, that that is Enoch's first solo. Is that correct? In, in church, he sung with the family. But uh, that that was a real blessing, brother. You keep you keep serving the Lord with your voice, and he'll he'll bless it tremendously. I tell you what, I remember when. Uh, just Harry Legged Tim was up here dating uh, Rebecca, and before they were ever married, and and uh, the Haddad family, and and uh, uh, Rebecca's sister and brothers, and uh, just remember seeing those kids grow up, and now you see their families uh, beginning to serve the Lord like that, and what a blessing that is, uh, and and you get a new perspective up here. Interesting, I'm going to use that word in the sermon tonight, but you get a new perspective up here watching folks sing. Uh, and, and these young men that are on the front rows, uh, I see you from behind oftentimes, and there's a couple of you. I'm not going to share your names because your heads would get big, but I just really enjoy watching you all sing. And you keep, keep singing, keep your voices, uh, and singing for the Lord. And I mean, they lift that chin up. You'd think they were coached to do this. And, and, uh, and, and I'm just going to say, Barrett's face has never changed since he was a boy, and we'd see him sing in the Christmas programs and Barrett, you keep singing, man. I want to see you up here singing someday. Uh, y'all keep it up. Well, it is good to have you guys here tonight. Do continue to pray for our pastor and, and, uh, um, and, uh, and, and Maddie and, and the many others in the church that are sick. Take your Bibles, if you will, and be working your way towards Psalm chapter 73. We're going to read that psalm uh, in its entirety, 20, uh, 28 entire verses, and we're going to spend a little time on that this evening and then get over into the New Testament for just a little bit. But as you're looking up at Psalm chapter 73, I told Lisa I was going to start with a nursery rhyme and just put you to sleep right away. That way we don't have to uh, meddle in it later on. But uh, does anyone remember the nursery rhyme? Now, I'm, given the, I'm going to give the date of this rhyme. I think it was 1805 when this was first put to book. And I know that no one in here was around when that first happened, so that's not part of my question. But there's a nursery rhyme that talked about a cat that had gone to London. Anybody remember that one? Pussycat, pussycat, where have you been? I've been down to London to visit the Queen. Come on, guys, you're looking at me like that. Well, that's really old. <laughs> pussycat, pussycat, what did you there? I spotted a, a mouse under a chair. Anybody never heard that? Raise your hand if you've never heard that. Brother Jody? Oh, is that right? Oh, well, it, I... I uh, there's a joke there, Brother Jody, about you have not heard a nursery rhyme that was penned in 1805, but I'm not going to touch it. Um, yeah. But what, what do you think is the meaning of that? Here's a cat, a little pussy cat that went to London. Now, granted, this is an English rhyme, right? An, an English nursery rhyme. So from the country goes to the big city where the queen is to visit the queen. And when asked what she saw, the only thing that that cat replied was, I saw a mouse under her chair. In all of its grandeur, right, the queen that's there, that, she, that cat recalled was seeing a mouse under the queen's chair. That's, she kind of missed the picture, didn't she? She missed the big message there. Um, how about this one? You ever heard the, story, the expression, don't miss the forest for the trees? That, that's a little more our time, right? Don't miss the forest for the trees. It's, it's, it's possible. What, what does that mean to you guys when you hear that, that phrase or that expression, don't miss the forest for the trees? Feel free to respond. I'm sorry, guys. I'm catching you off guard. This is a Sunday night crowd. I'd, I'd like a little interaction. You don't have the big picture. Very, very good. You don't have the big picture. That's exactly right. Um, Brother Gary, did you put her up to that? Did you tell, look, it's on the board. 
But no, that's exactly right. You're, you're kind of missing the big picture. Now, it's easy to do in some forest. Many years ago, or a few years ago, Lisa and I visited the Redwoods, and I tell you what, when you leave Crescent City, California, and you're heading up to the north into that uh, Jedediah Smith um, Redwood Forest, and you, you, you kind of come around this mountain, and you're, you know there's a forest back there. You can see the kind of the tips of the trees, but there's a ridge that you have to go over. And as you go over that ridge, it's really cool when you go in the morning, the mist is out there and it's just, it's just a pretty awesome sight. And you come around this bend and you see this mammoth of a tree. You're in the forest, but it just takes your breath away. And, you, and, and I lost sight of, look, look at that thing, Lisa. And, and then as, as you widen out, you realize, man, there's another one. And there's another one. Way back there, there's another one. It's, it's really awesome. It's, it's, uh, it's pretty cool uh, to see that thing. Well, yes, don't miss the forest or the trees. You're not getting the big picture. Um, I want to speak to us tonight just a, a little bit of things. Tonight's message is just uh, certainly less serious than this morning. I, I, I do want to hopefully just be an encouragement. This message, it's a rerun of many, many years ago. Many of you, some of you might remember it. I'll be, I'll be transparent with you. It's a rerun. Uh, but, um, you know, it, it's just timely. It's, it's as if the Lord just knew, Brinson, you need this. And I hope this can be an encouragement to you as we, as we look at God's Word in a, in a couple of fashions. Um, each of those nursery rhymes or sayings uh, do, do speak to getting the big picture in situations or overcoming tunnel vision, if you will. Um, it might encourage you, what, you know, to, to overcome tunnel vision or to get the big picture. You might have to change the way you look at things. Sometimes you have to peel back and get a little more context in a situation. You might have to look at things from a different angle um, uh, um, to realize or, or recognize uh, something that may have been there all along. You just have to look at it differently. And then uh, sometimes just change your perspective, right? Get a different viewpoint, a different angle. Does anyone like to do puzzles in here? Anyone still do, like, boxed puzzles? Uh, who, who is an edge builder? The first thing you do is build the edges. Any first, first edge? Okay, so to, to do the edges, well, you got to find them first, right? Now, whatever that looks like, you do it in the box or you put them out in a tray or on the table, and you're looking and looking and looking for an edge, and, and when you're almost finished, there's typically there's like two or three edges that are, that are still out there in this other, uh, what would it be, 900 43 pieces left and there's two edge pieces in there somewhere and you've been looking for hours and your spouse walks by and oh here you go I mean they just had they had different viewpoint at it right and it just it just it was cleaner for them to see and sometimes a different perspective helps us in in those ways I want us to as I said it's a little lengthy read but I, I think it's really beneficial in helping us to understand a few things uh, here in God's Word, but in Psalm chapter 73, I'm going to read that in its entirety. If you have that, uh, just uh, follow along with me. In fact, I'm probably going to stop at a couple of places along the way. And first, I want us to see the very first verse. Truly, God is good to Israel, even to such as are of a clean heart. There is no doubt right out of the box that the author of this psalm understands that God is good, and especially to those who are of a clean heart or even to such as are of a clean heart. And then verse 2 goes on to, to read. I'm going to read verse 2 through 12. But as for me, my feet were almost gone. My steps had well nigh slipped, for I was envious at the foolish when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. For there are no bands in their death, but their strength is firm. They are not in trouble as other men, neither are they plagued like other men. Therefore pride compasseth them about as a chain, 
violence covereth them as a garment. Their eyes stand out with fatness. They have more than the heart could wish. They are corrupt. Remember, the author is speaking of the wicked. He's building, he's observing great things of the wicked. Their eyes stand out with fatness. They have more than their heart could wish. Verse 8 continues, they are corrupt and speak wickedly concerning oppression. They speak loftily. They set their mouth against the heavens and their tongue walketh through the earth. Therefore his people return hither and waters of a full cup are wrung out to them. And they say, how doth God know? And is there knowledge in the most high? Behold, these are the ungodly who prosper in the world. They increase in riches. Man, uh, Asaph is... It has drawn some conclusions about the world here, about the wicked. He's made an observation based on things that he is seeing. He's taken a good look around him and he sees the ungodly and it appears that they're, they're prospering. He's making some comparisons. Man, the, the wicked, they seem to be doing all right. And I'm trying to do good and serve the Lord and I may not be doing as well as they are. Well, let's continue to read here. Verse 13 Um, I'm going to read 13 through 16. Verily I have cleansed my heart in vain and washed my hands in innocency. For all the day long have I been plagued and chastened every morning. If I say I will speak thus, behold, I should offend against this generation of thy children. When I thought to know this, it was too painful for me. Asaph begins to make the realization, look, I'm trying to do good. And I'm not prospering the way they are. It just, it's, I just can't wrap my mind around it is perhaps the vernacular that we would use today. But look at verse 17. So you see 16 and 17 show a pivot point in his perspective. And I'm going to back up and read 16 again. When I thought to know this, it was too painful for me until I went into the sanctuary of God. Then understood I their end. Surely thou didst set them in slippery places, thou castest them down into destruction. How are they brought into deep desolation? In a moment they are utterly consumed with terrors, as a dream when one awaketh. So, O Lord, when thou awakest, thou shalt despise their image. Thus my heart was grieved, and I was pricked in my reins. He goes on to say in 22, So foolish was I, and ignorant, I was as a beast before thee. Nevertheless, I am continually with thee. Thou hast holden me by my right hand. Thou hast guided me with thy counsel and afterward received me to glory. Whom have I in heaven but thee? And there is none upon earth that I desire beside thee. My flesh and my heart faileth, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. For lo, they that are far from thee shall perish. Thou hast destroyed all them that go a whoring from thee. But it is good for me to draw near to God. I have put my trust in the Lord God that I may declare all thy works. Again, in verses 13 through 16, Asaph had compared the ungodly works and he, and he just couldn't wrap his mind around it until he changed his perspective. He peeled back and he got a big picture of sorts. He saw things the way God sees things. And I love what happened in verse 21. Now consider verse 21 for a minute. After he saw things God way, as in 17, until I went into the sanctuary of God, then understood I their end. He declares their end. And in verse 21, he says, thus my heart was grieved and I was pricked in my reins. Now that can be taken two ways. Perhaps he found a compassion for the lost. He saw what their end was and their destruction was. Um, 
you know, maybe, maybe other things. Maybe he was embarrassed because of the way his heart was in saying, Lord, I just don't get what, why the wicked prosper. And forgive me for my views on just not looking at this situation properly. But one thing caused him to ponder and to, um, and to say that his heart was grieved and he was pricked in his reins. And he goes on to proclaim how he holds on to the Lord. He, he will hold to the Lord. Asaph was able to proclaim in verse 28, But it is good for me to draw near to God. I have put my trust in the Lord God that I may declare thy works. And I just can't help but think that Asaph saw things differently when he widened his lens, when he peeled back and he got the big picture, when he got away from tunnel vision, he began to see things just a little bit differently. Um, when his sight was set on himself, he had a totally different viewpoint of what was going on and others that he thought were doing better than he was, that just perhaps God should be just judging them and taking care of business with them. When he saw what their true end was, he had a heart of compassion. He changed when he saw them in, in God's light. And when he looked at things from God's perspective, he had a compassionate heart. He, um, I think he had a renewed commitment. He was able to renew and, and, and repeat just what it was that he had in the Lord. He had a renewed commitment and he, and he shared his heart of gratitude. And sometimes it takes a different perspective in seeing things God's way to understand. It may not have been just the way I thought it was in the first place. And uh, boy, like Asaph, we should be thankful. Lord, thanks for sharing with me and showing me that way. Um, it, 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 it almost never fails. Okay, it never fails. When we begin to see things in God's light and with His vision, they just might be different than the way we see things in our light or with our vision. And, and, it, and if, we're, if we're honest and we're truly thankful to Him and, and obedient to Him, it just has the power to change your actions, right? If, you, if you're just like feeling sorry for yourself or just, you're just down in the dumps because of it, you don't understand what's happening. Lord, why is this happening? Why are they getting by with things? And well, I'm just trying to do good and I'm not. Well, ask him to broaden your vision a little bit. Open your eyes just a little bit to what his way is. And there's no doubt when you commit your path and your ways to his way, then you begin to see things in his lens you may have a different viewpoint on what just exactly what needs to be done. Man, our prayer should be, Lord, give us the, the eyes to see things your way. We may not always understand everything that's going on around us, but God does. We, we, we may not, for reasons that are His reasons, uh, He doesn't have to disclose that. He doesn't owe that to us. But still, if it's God's way, His way is always right, whether we see it or get it or understand it or not. He is God, and His way is always right. We could end on that right there, but we're not going to. I want us to go over to the New Testament, if you will. Romans chapter 1, verses 9, 9 through 11. I want us to look at an example in Paul's life of this very thing. Paul could have been like Asaph and some of the, some of the things that were dealt him, some of the, the um, circumstances in his life. Uh, he could have gotten down, but, but I, I'm, I'm really encouraged. Uh, I love this piece of Paul's life where... Um, it just seems that he wasn't encouraged. In, in Romans chapter 1, verses 9 through 11, this is the opening, the salutation, if you will, where Paul is sharing his heart. He has already identified himself in the beginning of the chapter. And in 9 through 11, he shares something that's on his heart with the people. Remember this epistle of Paul to the church there in Rome? He's writing a letter 
to the church in Rome. And you guys have studied this before. You, what a great epistle this is. But he shares with them in the beginning just how much he desires to come see them. And to this point, he hadn't been to Rome yet. Just how much he desires to come to Rome and to minister to them. And um, it says that right there in verses 9 through 11. For God is my witness, whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of his Son, that without ceasing I make mention of you always in my prayers, making request, if by any means now at length I might have a prosperous journey by the will of God to come unto you. For I long to see you that I may impart unto you some spiritual gift to the end ye may be established. Paul desires to go to Rome. He had a desire to, I, I got a feeling he had a desire to preach in Rome. Um, now, I may be overstepping my grounds just a moment, but I think this about Paul. What a preacher, right? I mean, he, he, there's, there's, he's a great letter writer. And uh, he talks about having preached. I mean, he, he preaches to people in prison. He preaches to people on the streets. And he's just a tremendous preacher. And here's a man writing a letter to a church in Rome saying, I, I really strongly desire, God's my witness, I strongly desire to come see you guys. Now, what preacher in that day and age who desires to go to Rome doesn't want to preach in Rome? And if you're going to go preach in Rome, I just imagine that Paul would think, man, the Colosseum, that would be a place to preach right there, right? I mean, the biggest auditorium, the biggest Colosseum to the known world at that time held over 50,000 people. Um, I, I just, I don't know. Again, I mean, it's, you give me a little license here, but I think... Paul might have thought it would have been really neat to preach in the Colosseum. Perhaps that was his heart. That's not what he shared, and I'm not trying to add anything to the Scriptures, but I just wonder, um, would, would that be something that would have been a box he'd really love to check and go into Rome as preaching in that Colosseum? His heart was on the people, and I, I don't want to take away from what he said there in, in this book, because he said he desired to come impart some things to them uh, and, to, uh, and to exhort them and to be with them. But uh, nonetheless, why not in just while we're there, why not preach in the Colosseum? The time of this writing in, is, is AD 64, and there's a lot of unrest in Rome, particularly in the, the Jews being oppressed by the Romans. And they're there because God got them out of Jerusalem and, and took them to the uttermost parts of the earth, including Rome. And they're really under some uh, persecution uh, in, that, in that area. But nonetheless, it's... Um, there's a lot going on in, in Rome, and, and uh, Paul wanted to go there. He desired to go there, but instead, God had plans for Paul that did not include the Colosseum. In fact, it didn't include going to Rome at all. Rome was involved. Uh, in fact, a few years after Paul wrote this epistle to the Romans, where this introduction that we just read a piece out of is included, um, he found himself in prison. And he found himself in a Roman prison. Rome pretty well ruled the world. So, I mean, it just about anywhere you go, if it's a prison by the magistrates, it's going to be a Roman prison. But he found himself in a Roman prison. He got close, right? Um, he got close to, to Rome, but, but it wasn't Rome. And uh, likely it was Ephesus. And uh, he was a prisoner of, the, of the Caesar at the time, Nero. This two years after he wrote this letter here in... in uh, um, uh, to, to the Romans, uh, likely in an Ephesian or in Ephesus in a prison, uh, the, who was the ruler of Rome. He, the prison wasn't exactly where Paul might have desired to go. Remember, he shared he wanted to go to Rome. He wanted to preach, to teach to, and, and impart some wisdom to the church there in Rome. But here he finds himself 
wow, two years have passed and I still haven't made it to Rome. And here I am in a Roman prison in Ephesus and um, just not the way I had it planned, Lord. But Paul didn't, he didn't get down like Asaph did in the beginning of, um, in the beginning of, of Psalm chapter 72. Instead, uh, he sees the opportunities that, uh, that God had given him. Um, from what I read of Paul, other places, he was a mover and shaker. He enjoyed moving. He, liked, he, could, he just couldn't sit still. Um, and and he, he just had to be doing. But yet here Paul was for a couple years in, in prison in, in Ephesus and usually like bound to a guard, sometimes bound to two guards. Not a whole lot of liberty to do the movement that he likes to do. do certainly wasn't going to make it to Rome being in bonds right there. And for two years, he was forced to be in one place, chained to a guard. But he had the liberty to write. And in fact, there are four of his epistles were written from that cell there in Rome. That, or not in Rome, but in Ephesus, that Roman prison there in Ephesus. And um, boy, think about that. Boy, I sure desire to go to Rome. There's some folks there that I want to see. The Colosseum's there. There's some things I'd like to do there. And you find yourself in prison. What's your response going to be to that? Lord, I got such great desires to go serve you. And now look where I'm at. Uh, it, would, it could be easy to be ungrateful or, or not thankful or even worse. Um, but not Paul. Uh, in Philippians chapter 1, verse 2, Paul said, But I would, you should understand, brethren, that the things which happened unto me have fallen out rather unto the furtherance of the gospel. What Paul's talking about is, look, I'm bound in prison. Um, and he's not talking about the conditions that are there. Um, he's, look, I really wanted to come see you guys. And he, he's, he's got other desires for the churches in Philippi also. Uh, but he's like, I, I, I'm not able to make it at this time. And, and, you know, due to circumstances out of our control, I don't understand it. But I'm thankful that God put this in my way for the furtherance of the gospel. Now, did Paul know or understand anything about the gospel? He did, right? What, did he, what was it that he said uh, about the gospel in Romans chapter 116? For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, right? For it is the power of God unto salvation. Uh, man, he knew what the gospel was about. And he was able to say in prison that these things that have come about are good for the furtherance of the gospel. That's a great attitude, right? I don't think Paul had tunnel vision, um, uh, again, two years chained to a guard. Uh, guards change um, every four hours, roughly. I mean, if you read history, and it's not a lot that we're pretty far removed from that history from that long ago now, but guards change, they say, probably every four hours. Um, if it's just two guards over four hours over two years, that's over 4,200 opportunities that he had with a captive audience right there one-on-one -on -one where... He's writing epistles, right? He's writing letters. He wrote, he wrote the book of Ephesians or the letter to the church in Ephesus. He wrote Philippians, Colossians, and Philemon from that prison cell right there, given that opportunity. And I, and I think he had a good perspective to say, these things came about for the furtherance of the gospel. Amen. Well, what a great attitude Paul had in that very... Uh, in that very thing, in that very time. And, and I don't know, I, I like to think about things. I can just imagine him, you know, pulling out his, his scribe, his pen, and, and maybe asking the guard that he's chained to, hey, can you hold that light just a little bit different? And then he begins to write, as he did in Ephesians 4, I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, and he probably had to grin at that guard and say, you see what I did there? I'm a prisoner, 
not in prison. I'm a prisoner of the Lord. And then share with him what that means. And then I beseech you that you walk worthy of the vocation wherein you are called. And he just, he had an opportunity with one or two guards right there. I think there's probably some good relationships built and some good words shared right, right there. In prison. Not down on himself, but in prison. I know I'm using a little liberty, folks. Just give me, um, I'm, I'm willing to be wrong on those things, but what an awesome opportunity that Paul had with a captive audience. He had the opportunity to write epistles that we find great. Now, let's think about this. These things happened to me for the furtherance of the gospel. Had Paul gone to Rome two years earlier, not long after he wrote this epistle to the church in Rome, where he said, I really desire to go there and visit. And had he gone there and had it just worked out where he had the opportunity to preach in the Colosseum, and it was packed on a hot August day, and it, I mean, there's 50,000 plus people standing room only in the Colosseum. 50,000 people got to hear Paul preach that day. And maybe for a generation, maybe two, people would talk about, boy, that message Paul delivered was a good one. And before long, it would be dispersed, right? Unless someone scribed it down. But what about those four letters that he wrote to Ephesus, to Philippians, to Colossae, and, and then one to Philemon? Those things are still captured in the very Word of God, and they're still blessing people, and people are being saved as a result of those days, and people are being exhorted, and people are being encouraged. So while Paul had this desire to go to Rome, maybe had this desire to preach in the Colosseum, God said, no, wait a minute, i got other plans for you, Paul. Paul didn't see things um, the way, perhaps the way God did, but he wasn't afraid to back up and say, Lord, I don't understand what's here, but I'm going to be faithful to you while you carry out what you have planned. And he was able to say in faith to folks that he wrote to, look, this, this may not have been my way, but God is going to work this out for the furtherance of the gospel to, to his way. And sometimes it takes our peeling back and not getting tunnel vision peeling back and let, uh, looking at things from a new perspective and, uh, and, and just saying, Lord, show me out of, out of your word or in you know, work in my heart to understand. I may not see things that the way you see them now, but help me to see them the way you see them. And don't sit back and wait for him to show you. Just continue to be faithful. Lord, I don't understand it, but I'm going to be faithful. I, 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 I'm going to do what you have for me to do, whether I know the outcome or not. It doesn't matter who's doing what, how they're treating me, or how they're treating your church, or what's going on, Lord. You've called me to do, fill in the blank, and I'm going to be faithful, whether I understand your ways or the things going on around me. Oftentimes, we don't have control over those situations, and we don't have to understand what may be going on, but God's called you for a purpose. Do what He's called you to do and be faithful to Him, and you let Him sort the rest of it out. And let me challenge you, no matter what that be, whether it be preaching in the Colosseum or whether it be you know, ministering at work, Lord, I don't know why you called me from, from uh, Washington or Washington, right? I, mean, I don't know why you called us down here to Texas. It gets so hot in the summertime. But guys, be faithful while you're here. Be faithful where God has placed you and what He has called you to do. And Lord, I, you know, I don't know why you, you had me born in Bridgeport, Texas, and there just seems to be no opportunities to go elsewhere. And um, yeah, I came through high school, and, and you just, there just keeps being opportunities right here, perhaps just right where He wants you. Amen. Be faithful. 
man, don't, don't get that grass is greener on the other side or that woe is me. Don't get the Asaph early in the book of, of Psalm 73. Get the Asaph post chap, uh, verse 17 and say, Lord, I see things your way. It helped when I got into your house and I saw things your way. Get a fresh perspective, his way, and then just keep being faithful. Don't be hasty to respond the way Asaph did. Instead, consider God's viewpoint and, and ask for help to see things His way and, and, uh, and, and just continue in faithfulness. And that's, uh, that's all that He asks of us. And, and that's really all that I have for us this evening. I hope, uh, Gary, come on if, if you guys will, if, if you want to have an invitation this evening and respond as God.